Welcome to the Power of Insights. This podcast is designed for helping people who are looking for lifelong change. My name is Ole Kareos and I'm a state of mind coach helping individuals and business have lasting transformation. Today I would like to introduce to you Emily Golden. She's a coach which helps higher performers because despite the money and success they have, they still feel dissatisfied and unfulfilled in their life. Also, we spoke about what success is and what it means to be happy and how we can design the life we really want. We looked into the difference between coaching and therapy and we discussed how judgment affects us and what are the barriers of being whole and complete. Enjoy. Welcome, Emily. Thank you, Oleg. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Without any further ado, can you tell a little bit about yourself? What are you do? What are you creating in your world now? Sure. Um, so I am like many people, uh, a coach. Um, and I say like many people, because I think a lot of people throw around coach now. Um, I am specifically um, a leader, a coach for people who are high performers, individuals who have reached great success and great height in their life, many of whom have generated a lot of money, um, a lot of, of quote unquote success on paper and are um, either dissatisfied with their life or the, feel unfulfilled. Um, or they're constantly in a cycle of being overwhelmed um, and stressed, and they don't know where to go and who to turn to. So I work with a lot of professionals. Um, I work with people around executive coaching, leadership coaching, and then career coaching. I am right outside of Philadelphia in a town called Cherry Hill, New Jersey. You might hear in my accent that I have a more of a New York accent. I moved from northern New Jersey, where our city was New York, down mm. to southern New Jersey, where the city is Philadelphia. And that's caused um, some interesting dynamics with sports teams, because in South Jersey, people are really um, gung-ho for their Eagles and their Phillies. <laughs> Um, but yeah, my husband and I are raising our two children in Cherry Hill, and it's a wonderful community, and I'm fortunate to call it my home. Ah, oh, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you said you're working with people who are successful, and successful on paper, you said. And then you emphasize that they uh, have success, but they are unsatisfied in their own lives. They have uh, stress and so forth. So in my eyes, success means when you have all of it. As we talked with you just a few minutes ago, you said, I feel so much better now the way I am. I, I, I understand myself better. Can you, can you share with us what a real success is? It's interesting that you ask. I, one of the things that I ask a new client is, what, how do you define success? Um, culturally, I believe that we are living in a time where we're fed uh, beliefs or we're, we're given this like formula that success looks like getting certain grades, going to a certain school, getting a certain degree, going into a certain line of work and generating a certain amount of income, maybe buying 
a, a property, getting married, having kids, whatever that um, kind of formula is that's been laid out for you. Um, what I found myself is that I followed the formula. In fact, I was a very compliant child and um, young adult. Um, I got the I got a great degree. I went to a great college. I married a great guy. We had two great kids, and I was on the up and up in a corporate career in human resources in the chemical industry. And I kind of wound up there after spending some time in the financial services industry, but I had made some connections that got me into the chemical industry. I was always really connected to the people that I worked with. Um, and I was, I had an internal knowing that I was mismatched with my career and an external awareness that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, making a certain amount of money so that my kids and my husband and I could afford a certain lifestyle, live in a certain type of home. And um, it was like, well, this is what you have to do. And life is, this is what life is. And then one day you get, you get to retire and then you can do what you love. Yeah. And um, I personally just got to a point, I had a moment that kind of shifted everything where I decided that's actually not true. I don't want to believe that. Um, and so back to your question, I believe that success is, like you said, having it all. Um, I believe that success is having a career um, or perhaps doing volunteer work that really fills you up and having a full life, a family, friends, um, just feeling fulfilled in, in general, giving back, being connected. Um, success is whatever it means to you, honestly, not what you think you should have on paper. I love that. So success, what it means to you. So, mm. I, I need to digest that. Thank you for sharing because it's something, something I, I the way I saw success for myself is embracing everything I have got in my life. For instance, I, if I have some struggle, let's say, in a relationship, um, I see myself as a creator, as a, as a successful man already, and then from that place I start creating. Mm. Does it make sense to you? Instead yeah. of me one day being a successful person, I see myself as success already because that's who we really are. That's how I know. That's how I know who I am. Mm. So that's what success means means to me: aligning with who I am. Mm. And if I am true in, in alignment and with myself, then I am successful. Mm. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, I listened to one of your webinars a uh, few months ago, and you said something which stuck with me till today. And I, I meant to ask you this question, so I will, I will read what, what you said. Most people think people which, which occur as arrogant or think higher of themselves, but the truth is most of them are insecure of the core. Mm -hmm. This statement aligned with me because I had times when I was really insecure about myself. Mm -hmm. So I was looking up to people who are successful and down to people who aren't. Mm -hmm. So, and I always, I was caught in that paradigm and, and feeling insecure one moment and feeling powerful the next. So basically I was playing between those two things. 
Can you elaborate on this on this statement? What do you mean they are insecure at the core? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll say something that a friend of mine always says, and it just really seems appropriate at this moment, which is all judgment is self-judgment. And so the this like bravado that I'm talking about um, that I, that I mentioned in that webinar, um, this uh, like kind of arrogance is essentially a fix for a belief that I am not good enough. Um, And I, there have been many people in my life that I um, have, that I believe act as though they are really confident when actually at the heart they're um they're just they're really insecure um not to go too deep but often there's like childhood fears that um they have not faced or that they don't recognize are running them and i myself experienced a tremendous amount of um challenge in my childhood i was born with a um, congenital and degenerative musculoskeletal deformity. So you can't see it on the outside, but my spine is degenerating. Um, And that caused certain issues from birth. Um, I believe that for for so many years, I, I operated on top of feeling like flawed or like there was something broken. Um, because there's physically something different about me. Um, what I recognize is that when I can, and it's a, it's a process, it's not perfect over here, but when I can love and hold myself as whole and complete, I am so much kinder and I am so much more, so much more room for other people. When I am in the presence of someone who occurs as really arrogant, someone who has a lot of bravado, I have a kind of a, a, a sense like that there's something deeper. I don't, it doesn't intimidate me or turn me off. It actually attracts me because I'm like, that's so curious. What's going on there? What does that person feel that they have to make up for? Mm-hmm. by being and acting a certain way. What are those what are those fears beneath the surface? It's like I always say, it's like we think there's a monster under the bed and then we finally are strong enough to take a look and it's just a pair of socks with a big shadow. <laughs> Beautiful analogy. Um, right. So so yeah, so I would say that like that that that's been um an important part of my growth and my metamorphosis, if you will. Um and it's not unusual for my clients to have that bravado. Mm. And do you think for those people who feel that, feel that insecurity within themselves, is that, as you said, it's a childhood problem. It's something happened in their childhood. And do you think they need to have years and years of therapy or is a short way of understanding and realizing who you are maybe, and that's get healed fast. Do you think it's a healing process? So interesting um, place to go with that. So, First off, it doesn't have to be anything traumatic from childhood. Like mm. a lot of my clients, like I had, a, I had an amazing childhood. And actually when we take a very 
short, maybe like we only spend a little bit of time looking in the past, but when we spend a little bit of time looking in the past, sometimes I'll get resistance. Like I don't want to be blaming my parents for the way that I am today, that I'm like this dictatorial leader, you know, at work. And it's not about blaming parents. It's, it's really, it doesn't have to be anything traumatic, but often there's like a core we call it, um, in therapy they call it a core event. I, I like to call it like the moment or when something happened, it was that first moment in life when you realized you weren't safe or maybe you realized the world wasn't there a hundred percent for you. Like mm. if you have children, you know that like at the beginning they look around and everything is for them. Right. But there's that moment when they realize they're either not they're not a hundred percent safe or maybe it's not all about them. So there's this defining moment. And then from there we create what I call it, I call it survival self. So we create the survival self, which is like an armor that we wear around, around ourselves. Um, I believe in therapy as a healing modality. I believe where there is trauma, whether it's deep, you know, whether it's like what would we would consider significant trauma or just general trauma, traumatic, you were in, involved in a traumatic incident getting therapy is really important working with a therapist. I think when you have um, anxiety, depression, or some sort of mental illness, um, therapy is an incredibly important support structure. I became a coach after many years of therapy myself, specifically because I did not want to spin in problems. I wanted I wanted to take action. I wanted to be there to support people to take an awareness that they had generate that they've generated and to put it into action to change what's next. It's one thing to understand. I always use the example of I'm always attracted to the wrong guy, right? It's one thing to understand. Well, that comes from, you know, my father perhaps wasn't emotionally available to me and I was looking for attention. It's one thing to understand that, but what do you do about it? And some exactly. therapists are great at that. Um, by and large, my experience has been that coaching makes a huge difference in creating the future. So it's not unusual for me to recommend a client get some healing support through therapy. Um, but my coaching is forward focused. It can, an insight can happen in an instant and can change everything when we anchor it to an action that has someone moving forward. Um, I don't believe we need to spend years and years in therapy. I think some people can benefit from that. Um, my intention is that my clients are getting the tools and the awareness about themselves and shifting the way that they're operating in life so that they can fly solo or, you know, fly without a coach for, you know, depending on what they're up to in their life. Um, so I, I really respect the modality of therapy and I also respect how different it is than coaching. I love that the way you differentiated therapy and coaching. And you said that you don't spend much time going to this childhood behavior and see what, how it's relevant now. I really like that because I do the same thing. I just go forward and what we can create. So the question, what can we create from here? And that's it. They start creating the, the world that they want to live now instead of focusing too much on something which is not relevant anymore. It's interesting because 
I have worked with a number of people over the years who have wanted to hook me, like subconsciously hook me in the story of their childhood and how how it was so traumatic and so hard. And mm-hmm. they are this way because of this thing. And um, I, I, I love working with clients who are constantly pulled back into that because um, they, 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 they have horse blinders on. Like, do you get that you're dragging the past into the present and you're smearing it all over the future? If you say you want something different, the conversation needs to start up here in your head. Yes, yes, with yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You main mostly your work is based, you're working with big companies. And um, I work with individuals. I have two sides of my business. One is my corporate clients, um, and these are you know small to large companies. And then another side of my business is individuals. So many of these individuals are at large companies, and they don't they want coaching from an unbiased third party. Um, they've had coaching, uh, many mm-hmm. of them, from mm-hmm. their company. And while they've gotten benefit from it, they feel like they don't have the same level of safety and security in mm-hmm. this private relationship. And I was uh, reading on your LinkedIn timeline, uh, reading about rewards and commitment and uh, habits, what habits you need to change in order to become a better leader or so forth. Can you a little bit touch on those what are the habits you think a leader should have or what kind of ideas or kind of thinking they even should yeah. implement or beliefs have? So I'll talk about the thinking because I truly, truly believe that that's where it all starts. Um, and it boils down to a willingness to take responsibility. Mm. No matter who you are, who you're leading, whether you, you know whether you're leading a large organization or you're a parent, right? Having the willingness to take responsibility for yourself, and I'm not talking about over responsibility for other people, because actually, I've seen people fall into that trap. But taking full responsibility for yourself, who you are, who you're not, what you want what you want to generate from other people, like that's where it all starts. When people, and I have been there, fall into this place of being a victim of the circumstance, they lose all power. Of course. So it's really about, at the core, taking responsibility. When you can take responsibility, you create space to have a level of self-awareness that is so critical. I do a lot of work around emotional intelligence. Where there are gaps in self-awareness, every, when there are gaps in that, every other area of emotional intelligence is impacted. If we don't know ourselves, we can't possibly get to know the people that we're leading. Hmm. So the buck stops here. And it's not unusual for me to hear from a client that I'm in conversation with about coaching. I don't need it, my team needs it. And I say, (laughs) I'm sure they could benefit from it. Let's start here with you, Mm. with number Mm. one. I agree with that. It's so easy to point out to other people, isn't it? They need it, I don't need it. Yeah, I like that. You mentioned um, emotional intelligence. What that Mm. means, what that means to you? 
Um, so I use the EQI 2.0, which is a particular emotional intelligence assessment. Um, and I use that really as a baseline to look at self-awareness, mm -hmm. um, to look at um, interpersonal skills, to look at stress management and emotional problem solving. Um, so I don't hold emotional intelligence as one thing. Um, it's not like I'm street smart versus book smart. Um, EQI, and I subscribe to the, uh, this, this method, um, says there are 16 different composites or subcomposites that make up emotional intelligence. Um, I think it's just a really, no assessment is like the be all end all. Um, any coach that is using an assessment as the be all end all is not using it responsibly. Um, in my opinion, again, back to responsibility to me, it's, it's just a, it's a benchmark. It's a baseline. It's a place for us to get grounded in what's working and what's not from an emotional perspective. Mm. Um, we don't, and the thing that I love about emotional intelligence is unlike IQ, we can actually impact our EQ. So we can raise our EQ once we understand it. Um, I was always told um, growing up that I had very high emotional intelligence. And I think my parents were speaking of my interpersonal skills, mm -hmm. my ability to have empathy for others. Um, the areas that I was challenged in and have been working on are really around stress management. Mm -hmm. So um, emotional intelligence is a, to me, it's, a, it's really a composite of how we operate in the world emotionally in all realms. Okay. Can you share with us one example you had with, or recent example or any example you had in the past working with the company and what, what shifted, what, what changed in that company? Did you have different results or they worked better with the, the teams who were working better? What changed? What was the result? So this is not specific to emotional intelligence. Okay. This is just in, ge in general, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of an example that can really um this it 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 happens all the time in big and small ways so um i'll just take this morning because it's fresh on my mind i was working with an individual with a with a leader um around her growth edge the area that she is that she and i are working on developing one of the areas okay. and that mm -hmm. is her relationship to feedback both receiving feedback and providing feedback Mm -hmm. um, the big shift for her this morning in our coaching was that she has been making certain assumptions about how providing feedback to a particular team member was going to um, be, like how that experience was going to be. And because of these assumptions, she was actually holding herself back from saying important things that could move the individual on her team forward. Um, so we did some work around assumption versus awareness. We did some work around coming from a place of curiosity and care okay. rather than um, kind of you know, pointing the finger or, um, I know I, one of the things I reminded her of is this person on your team is whole and complete. You don't need to rescue this individual um and that created like a, a like i can like i can breathe 
And from there, she was able to access her own internal knowing of how to communicate more powerfully. So that's just like one example. So I would say my clients tell me often that um, how they deliver feedback and how they receive feedback has shifted in the work through the work that we're doing. Um, in terms of their own relationship with feedback, my clients um, learn that the feedback is always, first of all, it's always given through the person's lens that's giving the feedback. There's always something valuable to take. And the feedback itself is, it's just, it's just words. It's just what makes all the difference. Instead of being scared of it, um, embrace it as an opportunity. Um, so I would say that that's been, that's a, you know, the, the area of giving and receiving feedback has been a, has been a powerful one. Another shift I'll talk about that I've seen a lot, I saw a lot in 2019, um, was clients coming to me saying, I'm not being assertive enough. Um, I'm not speaking my mind in, in, in meetings and in our work together, I really want to learn how to speak my mind. Um, and I've seen a lot of growth with these individuals. The truth is that they know how to do it. It's just they're scared. They're scared of being rejected. They're scared of being the only one in the room to take that view. Um, and sometimes I'll hit them, you know, I'll say the bold thing, like, who are you to not speak up? You are in that room. You like have that. a responsibility. Right? And the freedom that comes from saying the thing, um, it's, or the liberation, if you will. So I would say those are two shifts that, I, that I've seen most recently. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Emily, this podcast is called Power of Insights. And each guest being here, they share one insight, one awakening moment they had in their life where everything shifted for them or they have small shifts or big shifts. It's up to you. Would you be kind enough to share with us one of your insights you had in your life, which really, really changed everything? Uh, well, initially, I knew you were going to ask me this question. And initially, I was going to say, you'll never be happy with how much you have if you're not happy with who you are. Yeah. But I'm actually going to change that. I, I believe in that deeply, but I'm going to say the moment that changed everything for me was the moment that my daughter at the age of five was diagnosed with a neurological condition called Tourette syndrome. And the, that moment changed everything for me because it had me ask myself, what is this all for? What am I doing all of the things in my life for? Um, because there's a, oh, there was a deep fear that came up for me, knowing that there was something neurologically different that I perhaps couldn't control. Yeah. And when I asked myself, what am I doing this all for? The answers didn't satisfy me. Wow. And that's what led me to really doing the deep, transformational work on myself that now allows me to support my clients that way. What I'm, what I'm doing this for? That was the question you asked yourself. And from that, you realize that what, 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 what you're passionate about, you realize that you care about what you care about and what's important to you. One simple question gives you so many answers, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that.
Thank you, Emily, for sharing with us your insights and your experience. I really appreciate that. Could you please share with us how people can find you? Sure. Um, so if you go, you can find me from my website, which is www.golden-resources.com. Um, okay. My first book is going to be published in the spring, late spring of this year, and it's called The New Golden Rule. The new, I like that. <laughs> if you are a, um, a perfectionist, um, a recovering perfectionist, an achievement junkie, um, or someone who finds themselves stressed and overwhelmed a lot, this book is for you. Um, so follow me on LinkedIn, join my mailing list on my website, and you'll be kept in the loop of when the book is going to be out and ready for pre-sale. Wow. Thank you very much for sharing. It was a wonderful, I had a wonderful time with you. You too. And yeah. Thank you very much. All the best. Thanks for having me, Oleg. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and review this podcast and share with your friends who can benefit from this. It would be great if you can leave a comment and I would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.